there's lots of cool technology around, um, you know, preserving food longer and monitoring um, exactly which um, items or which pallets or which cases need to get sold first or maybe don't need to go all the way across the country mm -hmm. and need to get sold like today locally. Um, so I think that there's a lot of opportunity for technology and that's really how Rubicon got started is um, because we saw that this was one of the um, industries that was really ripe for disruption because um, you know in the kind of old school uh, trash and recycling model uh, there's not a lot of data and so folks don't really know exactly what they are or not throwing out and so the more visibility that people have and the more granular they can get on you know exactly what they are wasting or recycling um, then the better decisions that they can make Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders, climate champions, and sustainability professionals who are making an impact in their businesses today. Each leader is solving complex challenges and providing solutions within their respective areas of expertise. And here's our host, Sean Grady. Hello, listeners. Do you have your Environmental Transformation Podcast sticker yet? Well, I'm giving away free ET podcast stickers to those who contact me via my website at www.seankgrady.com. So send me a message to receive this cool-looking sticker to proudly show your support of the podcast. Then post up a picture on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook and tag me to help promote the show. It will be fun to see where everyone puts their stickers, and I've put mine on my water bottle and my laptop. So what are you waiting for? Get your sticker today. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Grady, and our mission is to bring you interviews with leaders in the environmental industry with the goal of providing you information about industry trends, climate change, future energy, circular economy, regulatory topics, and service providers making an impact in the industry. So today's guest is Ryan Cooper. Ryan's the Director of Circular Economy Solutions and Organic Recycling Lead at Rubicon. So, Ryan, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sean. Great, man. Glad to have you. And, you know, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what your role is there at Rubicon, and, and tell us a little bit about Rubicon. Okay, wonderful. So at Rubicon, um, I manage uh, the Circular Economy Solutions team. So mm -hmm. on that team, uh, we deal with sustainable materials management or zero waste programs for mm -hmm. our customers, waste audits, uh, metal recycling, um, regulated and hazardous waste, as well as lots of hard to recycle materials all different kinds of plastics, mattresses, carpets, car bumpers, x-ray machines, whatever our, our clients throw at us. And I am the organics recycling lead. Uh, so there's a small team of us that, that focus specifically on organics recycling, which is still in that hard to recycle material category. So. Yeah, right. No, there's a lot of interest now in that organic space and, uh, so, so let me let's dive into a little bit about that. Tell us a little about a little bit more about you know the circular economy solutions uh, and this organic recycling lead you know that you are what what you're doing there. Like, how difficult is it to find these outlets for food waste? Right. So my background is really in, um, you know, agriculture and horticulture. And so I started a state permitted composting facility down in North Carolina um, and then got a master's in regenerative studies where I study municipal anaerobic digestion and composting programs in the U.S., Canada and Europe. And so I, you know, have a background in helping cities and um, businesses develop organics recycling programs. So, um, you know, food waste and organics, um, you know, just to break that down um, here to kind of set the stage, 
Uh, organics recycling is really a larger category of, you know, we say anything that was once alive or if it grows, it goes. So any kind of natural material uh, that is going to uh, turn into soil, basically. So that could be a napkin or a paper towel. It could be sludges. It could be wood waste. Um, but like you said, lots of focus on, on food waste right now. And that really is the epitome of the circular economy because it's such a clear circle from eating an apple, putting the apple core in the compost, making beautiful compost, and putting that on your apple tree so that it produces you know, more uh, apples and that, that healthy soil creates plant health and, and, new, and human health. And so it's such a clear circle there with organics that um, that's really the goal for um, products in general. So uh, no matter what we buy and, and what we consume, uh, to create products that can cycle like that. So uh, designing products with the end use in mind so that uh, those products can be repurposed, reused, repaired, uh, pretty much anything but tossed into a landfill and that linear make take waste model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's great. I mean, I have been watching, um, the, in the industry, you know, transition now into this whole mindset of circular economy and the challenges that are out there, they're, they're still very significant. There's a lot of like still roadblocks out there for us. Right. But, you know, in the circular economy concept, as you just mentioned, the biggest, I think, opportunity for us is recycling organic food waste, right? Isn't that the biggest uh, culprit we have? It's just a no-brainer. And the positive thing is that it is very heavy um, and it's very wet and it creates a lot of weight. So nowadays, when people are measuring their diversion from the landfill, so the percentage of stuff that is not going into the landfill, a lot of times they're doing that based on tonnage. Um, now, a lot of people are developing carbon avoidance goals as well, and a lot of people think of transportation or energy when they think about carbon, um, but organics kind of ticks both of those boxes because it's very heavy and so it increases the diversion rate um, mm -hmm. for uh, companies and cities. And then um, it also has a big carbon effect because not only does food waste cause a lot of methane when it goes in the landfill, which is a potent greenhouse gas that um, you know has a big climate impact, but once you divert food scraps and other organics from the landfill, not only are you avoiding those methane emissions, but if you are making soil healthier, then actually it has a cumulative effect because then that soil not only sequesters that carbon that you put in it by uh, putting that, that compost back into the soil, uh, but it, it gets healthier and it, it, it sequesters even more carbon. The plants are even healthier, so they're sequestering more carbon. So it really has a, a layered effect. So uh, like I said, it, it ticks a lot of those boxes and is, is the low hanging fruit, I guess, to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Good. Well, you're right. You know, the, those nutrients that uh, the soil uh, receives from all that compost is, is just fantastic. And, and it's a huge benefit. Um, well, what are some of the challenges and opportunities in the business or for businesses who are who want to who want to compost? You know, like, hey, we we know we generate a lot of food scrap, a lot of food waste. We, we really would like to start a composting component of our waste program, but it's not really there. We don't really have the space or, you know, we don't have the understanding how to really do it well. What, what are some of the challenges that people face in that who really want to make a difference? Yeah, so you um, ticked off a couple of them um, right off the bat. So um, when you say, you know, hey, we really want to compost, that is where a lot of people are at today is that they'd like to divert their organics from the landfill, but really just don't know how. Um, sometimes it takes convincing to even put that on the table as a priority. So mm -hmm. assuming that it is a priority, there are still tons of challenges 
Um, you mentioned space, that is a very big one. Um, there's also operational challenges. So basically, you know, what kind of container are you going to use? There's training, there's education. Uh, a lot of times, you know, if it's someone high up in the organization that really wants to make this happen, once it gets down to the person that's actually putting material in those containers, are they keyed into the fact that it's a priority and really every single level in between? And so making sure that the entire organization is on board, uh, that's a really big challenge. Um, you know, a lot of people are thinking cost, you know, is this going to cost us more? Uh, a lot of people are thinking about the, what I call the yuck factor, the ick factor, where um, it's this magical thing where <laughs> it's a delicious burger until you're done with it. And then it's really gross. And isn't that going to smell? And, you know, and it's so funny because people have a dumpster full of food waste. But as soon as you tell them to put it in a separate container, they say, oh, my gosh, isn't that going to? cause rats yeah. and smells and there's like you know they're already there <laughs> coming out of their dumpster and i'm like you literally are talking about the same thing you're throwing yeah. out today just putting it in a different container so i call it a flick of the wrist it's just putting it in a green bin instead of a black bin so uh lots of challenges you know i think people don't know the whole process. So, um, you know, don't know exactly where that material is going to go. Uh, don't know, you know, what's going to happen to it. And so can't necessarily visualize it. And so um, that's one of the key solutions is showing them a program that does work, uh, showing them an anaerobic digestion or a composting facility so that they can see for themselves, um, you know, where that material goes. And they say, oh, okay, this is how the whole process works. Because, um, a lot of people are throwing out food waste every day, but don't know that there are alternative uh, beneficial reuses for that material. Well, okay. So let's talk a little bit about some of the, you know, the outlets and the re, you know, the, where can people send, you know, food waste? Yep. And so, of course, we follow the EPA food recovery hierarchy. So we help folks donate perfectly edible food whenever possible. Um, and after that, there are plenty of instances where it's not able to be donated. And so animal feed is the next um, you know, stage in the EPA food recovery hierarchy. It also has economic benefits because uh, farmers are buying feed. And so if they can use a waste product as an input into their operations, um, then everybody you know, is able to save money. So there's a couple reasons why animal feed, uh, it keeps it higher in that food chain. So animals make waste and then you can still use that waste once that product has you know, gone through that cycle. So um, after that, there's a number of different processes and, and again, it really depends on what kind of material you're talking about. So um, used cooking oil and other materials can go into biofuels uh, like biodiesel. Um, there are ethanol production with stuff like soda and beer. Uh, there's anaerobic digestion um, where you're making renewable natural gas, um, which is methane, but you're making it um, using microbes um, to create that renewable natural natural gas. And then after all of those processes, you still have residuals uh, that you can compost and get those plant nutrients back into the soil. And again, uh, promote that soil biology so that you can uh, grow more food and, and grow more crops and feed more people and feed more animals and, and keep the cycle going. Man, I mean, that, that, that description that you just said, I mean, that is like a full on circular approach. I mean, I mean, <laughs> From generation to regeneration, you know that, that was a really good uh, summary there. So, we'll talk about some of the uh, maybe some success stories you've had uh, with uh, helping customers solve uh, this organic, uh, you know, diversion process in their business. Yep. So one of the challenges that we didn't talk about was infrastructure. So the successes really lie where the infrastructure does exist, and mm -hmm. 
there are facilities that can take these products and there are haulers or transportation uh, partners that are able to move that material. Um, so that's number one. Also regulation is a big driver. So in some places it's the law that, that people have to do this. Um, so, you know, look into areas like Austin, Texas and California, Massachusetts, Connecticut, uh, and now New Jersey, New York, um, you know, there are uh, about eight states um, plus Washington, D.C., where it is, um, you know, mandated. And then uh, also a handful of cities throughout U.S. and Canada uh, that are also requiring this. And so really easy to find examples where those mandates exist. Uh, it gets harder and harder in when you get away from those population centers, um, where you get away from um, those farmers that are, are needing those materials. So, um, you know, some of the great successes, you know, have been with fast casual chains that do make this a priority uh, and want, you know, organics recycling implemented at every single one of their locations. Um, so, you know, a lot of times they'll use certified compostable food service wear. Um, so um, those are some examples of success stories. And then others include uh, depackaging facilities. So one of the big, uh, really um, shining examples of diversion from the landfill involves, you know, pallets and pallets, truckloads and truckloads of material that because of the nature that they're uh, shrink wrapped and they're in cardboard boxes inside of plastic bags, inside of those cases, you know, stacked on pallets, doesn't look a lot like food waste. And uh, in a lot of cases, there is no outlet for that material. And so you're talking again, tractor trailer loads of material that um, if it doesn't have a depackaging outlet, then it has to go to the landfill. So uh, some of the biggest successes as far as tonnages go um, are where, you know, animal feed or anaerobic digestion or composting partners have that depackaging capability uh, because they're able to um, get to that food waste in there, you know, recycle the uh, cardboard boxes and the other materials that those um, products come in. Um, you know, ethanol production is another great example of that. They're able to get to those kegs or those beer bottles or those cans. Um, and again, uh, that represents a significant amount of weight uh, diverted from the landfill and, and carbon avoided by, by creating that methane. Mm -hmm. You know, I hadn't thought about the whole packaging and depacking, you know, of, you know, say, expired food, right? That's, you know, and then figuring out that part of the, the equation to solve, to really kind of still divert the, the food waste and from the landfill to an actual, you know, end use that's, that's beneficial. And then I think there's still opportunity to recycle those products that were packed. It, it, was, it was packed in, right? So yeah, that, that's another tricky aspect to, you know, solving this you know, organic recycling puzzle. I mean, it's not just the food piece too. You also have other parts of the food packaging piece that's, you know, that's a recyclable, most of the times it's recyclable. Some of these products are probably packaged in quote unquote single use plastics that don't really have a high value uh, or an outlet for recycling. Is that, is that true? And if it's a mixed load where you've got, you know, 25 different pallets of 25 different products, it gets really hard to clean and, and capture any kind of single, call it HDPE or polypropylene, uh, PP. You know, if, if you've got, um, you know, one single type of packaging that makes it a little bit easier, but when it's mixed, um, that, that can cause challenges. Of course, like I said, if there are, is food attached to it, um, you know, cleaning that product can be a challenge, but really contamination is one of the biggest challenges in recycling in general, but uh, also with, with food waste programs. So, um, you know, folks aren't always sure what is and what isn't, um, you know, compostable or, or digestible in an anaerobic digestion facility. And so um, sometimes depackaging machines are used in residential or even commercial programs where um, they're running, um, you know, a, a 
single, you know, a source separated organic stream through um, a depackaging machine or other types of methods to really clean up that, that product. And that is a huge pain point for uh, anaerobic digesters and, and for composters because um, if material is coming in, um, you know, whether it's packaged or whether it's, um, you know, a, a, um, a, coming from a commercial or residential route and it's full of, of trash and other contaminants, uh, it can be extremely challenging to make sure that the products at the end of the day that these facilities are, are generating are clean um, and are able to be sold. And so uh, it's one of the biggest challenges in the industry today, for sure. This episode is sponsored by Terra Nova Solutions, specializing in industrial services, remedial construction, and waste disposal services throughout the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, and in the Southeast regions of the U.S. With locations in upstate New York, North Carolina, and South Carolina, Terra Nova provides proven remedial technologies, customized industrial services, and total waste management programs that include both self-performed and third-party waste disposal. Terra Nova's crews perform both routine and specific industrial service level project engagements for top tier clientele on the East Coast. Their staff are seasoned professionals and travel routinely to most locations in the U.S. Give Terra Nova Solutions a call today at 315-359-1308 or check out their website at www.tnsolutions.co for support on your next project. What about, you know, you talked about <clears throat> some of these commercial companies out there and I got to imagine some of the packaging that, that some of this food comes in or some of the food that we buy, you know, maybe even in the fast food realm could be quote unquote, you know, biodegradable, right? Where, you know, to make the ease of composting or recycling the organics, if if the products were quote unquote, packaged in a more environmentally friendly, biodegradable, you know, system. Could that really transform the whole organic recycling process even further? Say, and just say, let's just say McDonald's. Okay. That's a big company. Many, many stores. What if they were to get on board with, you know, organic recycling of all the food that is wasted at the end of the meal. So because I mean, you got, I mean, I've got, I had kids. I mean, you go and they wouldn't eat half the meal and you're just throwing it, you're chunking it in the garbage. <laughs> Come on. I mean, how much food, organic foods, you know, recycling could be done under those circumstances if, if we had companies like that, you know, creating programs to divert from trash. Yeah, and, and McDonald's is actually a leader um, throughout their entire supply chain in in making this shift. Um, you know, we don't use the, the term biodegradable in the industry. We use the term certified compostable. Um, okay. Still pretty contentious because, um, you know, what happens is that there's a lot of lookalike products or um, products that have the word green in them and, and things like that. And, and folks that are ordering and trying to do the right thing are buying products that aren't actually certified compostable, meaning they um, meet certain ASTM standards or are certified by... Uh, um, BPI, um, which is the main certifying body here in the U.S. Um, there's also the Compost Manufacturers Alliance that is working on field testing those because um, there is uh, resistance from some composters to accept that certified compostable material because um, it is mixed with other materials. And so uh, you're not sure if that's a certified compostable straw or just another green straw that's sitting next to it. And from a loader, they all kind of look like trash. And so um, that's a huge um, topic in the industry right now. Um, and so the 
ideal really i think is that you know you can look at a company like taco time or a company like sweetgreen uh, where basically everything they serve is certified compostable food service where you know they provide a front of house bin and boom right there their entire waste stream goes from 100 percent landfill because it's mixed with food and other recyclables and non-recyclables to you know completely diverted from the landfill um so you know for me i think that um you know with consumers having to decide what goes in what bin if we can just say listen it all goes in this one bin um you know some other examples is at the seattle mariner stadium and now here in atlanta at the mercedes-benz stadium um you know uh stadiums and and closed event centers like that uh, have an advantage because you're not bringing in outside materials uh, which can kind of throw off the whole uh, game but um, you know if everything at a venue is certified compostable then consumers and and customers don't have to make a they choice don't think about it yeah they don't even think about it. it right right yeah. now that that's now that is where to me, the value of designing strategies for companies like that is huge. I mean, that's where, you know, that's kind of like the silver bullet almost, right? Like, hey, you want to go, you want to be sustainable? You want to eliminate, you know, uh, tra- you know, M- you know, MSW? Let's, let's, let's create your, your uh, organic recycling program and then do it that way and then uh, have a benefit. I mean, I mean, there's still cost involved, obviously, right? There's still going to be cost involved with the company to buy that type of certified packaging, uh, to still, you know, transport, you know, food to, or, you know, recycling um, compost facilities or, or companies who would take it, right? But uh, I think it's still, it'd still be a really huge benefit. And, and, and you know, and now in today's society and, and the environmental awareness that we see amongst companies, you know, this ESG has really taken over and, you know, climate change is like the hot topic and everyone's trying to figure out how to get to zero net carbon by 2035 and things like that, you know, and they're really putting that out there, um, you know, for public to hear. I mean, they're basically responding to public demand in a sense too. Right. So, Got it. It's got to be like one of the top of mind type topics for some of these companies to do this. And going back to infrastructure, it gets really hard for them to, you know, just first of all, packaging is is difficult. And I would definitely uh, be scared of anything that we're going to call a silver bullet because in the trash and recycling <laughs> game, uh, they they really tend not to exist. But you know, the reason why this one. Uh, is problematic. One one of the reasons is because, you know, if somebody wants to change their entire packaging scheme, that's a big deal. That can take years. And then if they do that, you know, they're looking at, you know, hundreds of regulations across different municipalities based on what they can and can't serve. And then that infrastructure. So if they change their whole packaging suite nationwide or worldwide to one type of packaging suite, you know, then at places where it's not acceptable, then what do you do then? And so they have a really hard time navigating all those different regulations because it's so complicated and so fragmented, especially here in the US. Well, let's talk about the regulations. How are they affecting the industry? Yeah, so I mentioned it earlier. I think they're a big driver, um, if anything, just directionally. Now, I think more than that, you know, they're driving uh, innovation, they're driving investment. That's where, again, I think you're going to see more and more infrastructure because the regulation is there. So the capital is going to flow there because it's basically a requirement. they will come because it's the law. Um, the positive, really cool thing is that, you know, folks sometimes do that even when no regulations exist and there's still mm-hmm. that, um, there's still that demand. And so that's the really exciting part, but I think it sets the stage um, for, um, you know, the, the folks that don't necessarily ha- have that regulation to, um, again, see those models of what works, what doesn't work, um, and then replicate those models, again, whether that regulation exists or not. That's right. Um, well, you know, we've been in this 
past year and a half now or more, a little more than that now it seems like, but uh, in this whole COVID pandemic, right? I mean, what, what kind of you know, impact have you seen in the recycling uh, industry with food waste as it relates to, you know, COVID? Lots of different impacts. So first of all, you know, lots of office buildings, um, you know, restaurants, cafes, lots of folks, you know, basically came to a screeching halt. So uh, a lot more material went into those residential streams. And, you know, speaking for myself, you know, when I went into the office every day at Rubicon, we had every recycling program known to man, you know, we could recycle any product that we had. Um, but at home, it's a little harder to to create those programs and uh, you know with all the takeout all of that single serve I mean um, you know it it was widespread no matter what type of um, you know products were being handed out wherever you were it was a lot more single serve um, disposable products and uh, including you know the masks that I still see all over the sidewalk everywhere and so um, it, it is it, it I think it caused people to maybe take a step back but I also think that sustainability is not going anywhere. And if anything, it has continued to progress. So I know my mantra last year was that, you know, sustainability, if anything, is much more important. And so in the food supply chain specifically, um, I mean, you saw those stories about, you know, the farmers that had to euthanize all those animals. Um, there was lots of materials that were in wholesale packaging for those restaurants and um, for those cafeterias that um, had to, you know, basically be disposed of because of, um, you know, they, everybody had to shift to retail packaging. So there was a, a, a big change there. Um, but I think that, you know, that that hiccup in the, you know, processing plants, and I think it really uh, opened a lot of eyes to what the food system is, and the fragility of pieces of it. And so I think that um, for me, a lot of the lessons that came out of it are resilience and adaptability, flexibility, and local su sustainable solutions. Because, um, yeah. you know, the more the the closer those loops are to, um, you know, the, the cities that we live in or the, the communities that we live in. Um, and, you know, the less kind of complicated and abstract those uh, supply chains are, I think, um, you know, the more resilient they are and the more adaptable they are. And so I think that uh, I think it, it I had people coming out of the woodwork that have never talked to me about waste and recycling say, what's up with all these, you know, to-go containers or all of this, uh, you know, personal protective equipment that um, is everywhere. What are we going to do about all of this waste that we're all creating? So I think, you know, people were at home, so they saw it. You know, there was no leaving it at the restaurant. There was no, you know, away. And that's the bottom line is that, you know, the more people realize that there is no away, um, that's, yeah, that's it's, it's in their face. face. They, they gotta, yeah, they gotta deal with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, so, you know, um, the, talking about the supply chain of, uh, food and, you know, there was a bit of and early on, there was a bit of some challenges of getting food, you know, enough to kind of, you know, supply, uh, the needs of, of all us consumers. And, you know, I mentioned this in, in previous podcasts, but, you know, my wife and I, we started a garden you know, back in 2000, um, you know, early 2020, or I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Early 2020. And, uh, you know, we had been planning in it for it in 2019, not knowing, you know, COVID was going to hit, but, you know, luckily we were able to grow our own produce and it just kind of like, wow, there was a craze on people just want to grow their own food, you know, be more organic. Uh, and then this whole concept of this whole circular process or this whole, you know, recycling of, food waste and composting, I think really hits home a lot closer now to people who have now begun to kind of be involved in that, in that, you know? So I think it's great. Uh, and, and it's necessary, right? Cause food waste seems to be, you know, one of the, and not seems to be, it is one of the largest components of the waste process or the waste that's being generated 
that we're disposing in the country, in our country. Right. I mean, something like 30 to 40% of the right. food that we produce, you know, never gets consumed. And uh, all of that water, all that fuel, all that land, all those resources that take to, you know, grow that food, to pack it, to transport it, to distribute it, to get it to those grocery stores. And then, um, you know, during the early months of the pandemic, when all those grocery shelves were empty and that, you know, food supply chain experienced a lot of hiccups. I think that you saw a huge increase in home gardening. Again, that's going to create more resiliency and more yep. self-sufficiency. And yep. uh, it had a side benefit of creating a lot of demand for compost. So yeah, it did. Uh, it did. Absolutely. It did. Yeah. No, I, I, and that kind of brings to the realization of the full circular process here. Right. I mean, um, I'll tell you what, the, one of the best, movies that i've ever seen on youtube and you've probably seen it but is the the is called, i think it's called the the biggest little farm uh it's on it's youtube okay so this movie is about uh this whole process of what we're talking about the whole circular process of managing a farm uh in california and you know creating that whole ecosystem of you know regenerative everything from you know, livestock to produce to, you know, you know, fruits and vegetables to, you know, compost and fertilizing. Right? And then this, this movie is just amazing. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, and it's very well done. And I think, you know, people get a lot of benefit out watching that movie. Did you know E-Tank is the only environmental rental equipment company in the industry that offers a 100% certified clean guarantee at no additional cost? Well, this gives customers the peace of mind knowing that container contents from the previous renter isn't going to cross-contaminate the contents of the current customer and potentially cause liability concerns. You know, E-Tank also provides a one-of-a-kind complete maintenance program for all its rental items, including liquid-tight roll-off containers, fluid transfer pumps, and filtration system components. To learn more about the types of containers and pumps E-Tank supplies, check out their website at www.etank.net. So the next time you are faced with an environmentally challenging project, give E-Tank a call to help solve your problem. It's just that easy. Well, what, what are some of the common maybe myths about recycling food waste that you'd like to debunk, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, again, I, I kind of mentioned that that ick factor and, um, you know, as somebody that um, really started in, as, you know, a composter at farms where if a cow died or, you know, 25 chickens got mauled by a raccoon, you know, you throw them in a pile and they turn into beautiful black dirt. I mean, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of art to it. Um, but one thing that I would recommend is everybody reading the book Humanor Handbook, because, um, you know, one of the biggest kind of gaps in this cycle is um, the waste that, that our own bodies produce. And, and we call it biosolids in the industry. So um, I, you know, lived in various different types of communities and went to various different types of festivals that had composting toilets. And I had only a composting toilet at home for about two years. Um, oh. so, so, I mean, I think that that's one of the biggest, you know, if you can handle composting your own humanor, then I think like food waste becomes a lot less icky. And so I think that, um, again, seeing these processes, you know, how many folks have been to a water resource recovery facility, what we used to call wastewater treatment plants, um, that's a huge opportunity for any city that has a water resource recovery facility, that's literally millions and millions and millions of gallons every day coming into these facilities. And, you know, thousands, if not, you know, millions of tons that, uh, of material uh, that is part of that process that, um, you know, generations, you know, generations and generations knew the value of that type of material. So uh, <laughs> I think that there's that whole um, kind of conception of waste as gross and disgusting 
And like I said, it's this magical thing from the hamburger is delicious until you put it in the waste bin and then it's nasty, you know? And so what's up with that? Why, why do we look at waste not as a resource, you know, or why do we use right. a cup for 30 seconds and then we throw it in the trash and not see that as um, a recyclable value? Recyclable, exactly. Yeah, right. No, exactly. Well, it's funny you bring up the whole humanoid compostable, uh, you know, biogas type stuff. I'm actually going to be doing and this is a little teaser for next week, but I'm actually doing an interview with home biogas. Yeah. So check them out on the internet, home biogas there, there, they, they basically have developed a, a, a little small bio digester. You can put in your backyard, put all your food scraps in, and it generates, you know, um, renewable natural gas. You can, you know, basically, um, uh, used to uh, fuel your uh, cook stove and 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 other you know devices at home, and you have and it's you're self sufficient, right? So, and you have compost that you can use, put on your garden, and um, you know have more nutrients and better better quality uh, food produ production. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. In permaculture, I'm a certified uh, permaculture designer and teacher, and we call that stacking function. So, you know, if you can take your food scraps, feed it to your chickens, get some eggs and meat out of it, then put it in your biodigester where you can create some renewable natural gas, then compost it, you know, you're maximizing those resources. And I've read that there's about 3 million of those small scale digesters in China alone. Uh, again, lots of communities, including including hog farmers and dairy farmers and other farmers here in the U.S. that are utilizing that manure. So, you know, take a, a hog lagoon that used to kind of stink up the neighborhood. You literally just put a cover on it and boom, you've got an anaerobic digester that can help power the farm. You've made the, the neighborhood a little bit less stinky. Uh, you've got, you know, power that you can use and, and also spread out to the community. Um, so, you know, it's a win, win, win all the way around and again those are examples of resources that we weren't necessarily capturing but i think you know the more and more that we can capture all those resources um, instead of just you know referring to them as waste and and wanting to get them away uh, that's you know a step in the right direction yeah it's that it's that realization that you know that product and that material it is of it's got value Exactly. You know, it's got value. It's not waste. You know, it's a, basically another form of, you know, revenue or potential gold, you know, like in a sense. I mean, it's 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 a commodity that needs to be harnessed to through it the rest of its life cycle. Right. So that's great. Um, I love that. So we're talking about all these concepts of changing people's minds about this. Right. I mean, because that is the big problem I think that we have in society is this 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 paradigm shift of, so to speak, of mentality of thinking, Hey, I just, it's waste, get rid of it versus it's a, it's, it's something of value. So how can we leverage education for business and consumers around these concepts to make the, the switch, this, this environmental transformation? <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, that's, that is the point, you know, that is really the, the, the number one question. And, you, you know, folks are busy. Um, folks have a lot of priorities. Um, you know, when we're talking about uh, doing this at businesses, um, you know, dealing with their trash and recycling is not necessarily their number one priority. Um, they've got a business to run. And so I think, you know, part of it is incentivizing folks. So, you know, some of recyclable materials, uh, call it cardboard. Um, I mentioned used cooking oil earlier. I mean, if there's a financial incentive, um, you know, I think farmers are always looking for a way to diversify, then that's a pretty, obvious and um, very prolific way in our society to incentivize people is, you know, with money. And so uh, that's kind of a, an easy way to make the switch. And so, um, you know, I kind of think of my job as fighting the landfill every day. And so if I can save someone a dollar or five dollars, you know, per ton versus the landfill, then it makes it easier to um, to make that switch. But it's not everything because there is so much to habit. 
and this is the way we've always done it. And um, there's so much to that culture change um, part. And so, you know, you asked about leveraging education and, um, you know, one of the things that we always say is using champions. So at every level within an organization, if you can find a champion who's truly bought in, that can be there at every step of the way to show their peers, hey, you know, let's just take up one more second to put it in the green bin instead of the black bin or the blue bin instead of the black bin, um, then that is one way that, um, again, you're showing people, oh, hey, this wasn't that hard after all. Or, you know, a lot of people have a lot of questions about what is recyclable or what is compostable. Um, it, it is very complicated and it's very different depending on where you are. And so uh, I'm certainly not blaming anyone for not knowing all the ins and outs of, of what is, uh, you know, recyclable, whether it's sure. organics or other yeah. materials. Um, so having those champions embedded and again, you know, using case studies, showing people um, a concrete examples of where it works. To me, that's everything. When somebody can see it and touch it and smell it and it's working, then, you know, I feel like that is one thing that pushes people over the edge and say, oh, okay, I can do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it sounds like a lot of the work you're doing seems to be around uh, the industrial process. Is that fair to say? Well, um, we really were. Or you did residential. No, we're we're mostly commercial. So okay. we, as in Rubicon, has a smart cities practice where um, we uh, implement technology in municipal fleets all around the world, uh, more than um, 50 cities around the world uh, to date. Um, so we do have, um, you know, part of our business that impacts residential uh, collection programs, but the our main line of business is um, commercial um trash and recycling programs. Um, So, you know, with organics, uh, I like to say that wherever there's people, there's food waste, there's going to be someone who doesn't eat the crust on their peanut butter and jelly. So, um, you know, whether that's restaurants, there's food waste, that's right. Yeah, they're there. And so, you know, office buildings, uh, grocery stores, but then again, you get into those uh, distribution centers, you mentioned food manufacturing, Um, you know, there's basically every scale out there. And so, um, you know, I do want to take this opportunity to definitely, you know, let people know that there is uh, really large scale industrial organics recycling facilities, whether again, they're ethanol or anaerobic digestion or composting facilities that are taking hundreds or thousands of tons a day. Um, And then there's all the way down to small, you know, community gardens, um, small organizations that are picking up, you know, material on a bike, whether it's from a business or from your um, from your home. And then there's home composting because a significant amount of the organics that today are going into the landfill are generated at the home level. Yeah, so right, um, right. there are, it, that's one cool thing about organics recycling is that it's very scalable. You know, you don't have to necessarily build a landfill in your backyard to manage your organics responsibly. No, you're right. No, that's a good point. Um, I mean, I know like in our office, we had a, a contract with a organics recycling we just had a little bin in the in the break room and staff would just throw it in there and then we'd get it so it was good and they would come pick it up once a week so um it's good well i mean well where do you see you know areas of that may require further research on then maybe say data collection or or digital technologies to help maybe advance this this initiative within society to to really you know, embrace organic recycling. Yeah, so there are great technologies out there that actually monitor what folks are throwing out. Um, again, whether that's trash and, and recycling or specifically technologies that monitor the food waste that folks are throwing out because um, you know, one amazing thing is that 
when people realize how much food they are wasting, uh, they tend to waste less because uh, especially for businesses, uh, that's money down the drain, but for individuals as well. And so um, if you can really track uh, exactly what it is you're throwing out, then you can say, hey, uh, they don't like the potato salad. Let's you know make a little bit less of it next week, those kinds of decisions. Um, so uh, there's lots of cool technology around um, you know, preserving food longer and monitoring um, exactly which um, items or which pallets or which cases need to get sold first or maybe don't need to go all the way across the country mm. and need to get sold like today locally. Um, so I think that there's a lot of opportunity for technology and that's really how Rubicon got started is um, because we saw that this was one of the um, industries that was really ripe for disruption because um, you know, in the kind of old school uh, trash and recycling model, uh, there's not a lot of data. And so folks don't really know exactly what they are or are not throwing out. And so the more visibility that people have and the more granular they can get on, you know, exactly what they are wasting or recycling, um, then the better decisions that they can make. And so um, I think that there's other things um, like I am on the um, board of directors for the U.S. Composting Council, and I know that we are working on getting a NAICS code um, for you know composting facilities, so we can capture some of the data around um, you know the 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 performance of those different um, composting facilities, for instance. So there is just a lot of data that we don't have um, that will you know, again, inform better decision-making. Today's episode is sponsored by Cascade Environmental, the only field services contractor with the experts and equipment to support you from project conception to completion. In addition to the drilling and site characterization services that Cascade is known for, they also offer turnkey in-situ remediation services that include a line of injectable amendments that target tough contaminants like DNAPL, chlorinated solvents, TPH, PEAHs, and PCBs. To learn more about their in-situ remediation services and their line of injectable chemistries, check out their website at www.cascade-env.com forward slash remediation. Contact Cascade to help you start cleaning up your site today. At a really super granular level, say, say we're like, you know, is there a way do you think to solve or at least to start tracking like, you know, how much organic processing are we taking away at, you know, say at an individual residential level? Like, hey, I come up, I pick up the green box, I pick up the recycling box, and I pick up my black box. I mean, do you ever think we'll get to the point where, you know, the trucks that come in to pick up that waste will be measuring the volume of that stuff before they junk, chunk it in the, the truck and then start running that data analytically and, and doing, you know, uh, AI work on this advanced analytics and things like that. I mean, you think we're going to get to that level at some point or what, what do you think? I do. And, you know, that's, that's an example of, you know, the type of technology that we helped implement with the city of San Antonio, for instance, in their yard waste program. But um, the best example that I can think of is in South Korea. Um, You know, they went from, you know, very little organics recycling um, in like 2013 to there's something like 95% diverted from the landfill. And so folks have an RFID tag. And so they go down to the, you know, community trash uh, receptacle, they scan their RFID tag, and it actually charges you based on the weight of the organics that you're throwing out. Um, And of course, it's illegal to um, throw them out with the regular trash. And so um, folks are incentivized again to uh, reduce the amount of trash that they're, I'm sorry, reduce the amount of organics and trash as well, but we're talking about organics. And so they're going to waste less. You know, there's a a lot of dehydration there so that you're reducing the weight and volume of that material, which makes it uh, more stable and easier to transport. So um, I think that we probably will get there. And I think um, that once again, once we have all that data, then we'll be able to make much smarter decisions. And I think, you know, if you can 
pull up a board where it's like my block wastes less than your block, you know, those kinds of <laughs> my neighborhood's better than your neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I think that, you know, that, that kind of feedback loop um, really does help incentivize folks because they can see their, you know, graph rising or lowering depending on, on what the goal is. That's pretty cool. And I mean, it sounds like a really good thing, but I, I could, I could see the flip side of that. People would say, well, that's a little too big brother for me, you know, cause you know, now you're really kind of like forcing me to do this instead of, you know, voluntarily kind of just being a good citizen. Right. Yeah. In King County, um, in the Seattle area, there was, a, you know, a lawsuit that, um, addressed the, exactly that issue because, uh, there was basically trash police that would, you know, enforce the the rule that you have to recycle your organics and, um, you know, they basically had to stop. Um, so, uh, you know, trash is, is a sensitive thing because, you know, nobody really wants that level of detail. Um, so, you know, I've seen, you know, smart bins that will tell you, you know, what material to put in what bin, um, but is it also recognizing your face? And, you know, of course they um, aren't, you know, they, they wipe that data, um, but that is a fine line. How much do we really want to measure? Um, and uh, I think that that's one of those questions that outside of trash and recycling, we're going to be dealing with more and more as technology gets more and more granular. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, how are you seeing movie or movies? <laughs> How are you seeing more companies uh, focusing on ESG move forward into carbon reduction? I mean, and how this is affecting their diversion? I mean, are you, are you starting to see like there's a big focus on this aspect of their their waste program to get to achieve those ESG goals? Yep. And I mentioned that um, food waste is one of the earlier steps in that journey to sustainable materials management because it is heavy. Um, so I think what happened is that folks that made their you know sustainability commitments early in the 2000s, those are coming due. And so folks yeah. are really trying to figure out how to meet those goals. Um, and folks that hadn't had goals before, have goals now uh, because it's sort of just the cost of doing business now, um, you know, both consumers and investors. Um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, these these organizations are responding to demand. And so uh, I think that, you know, without fail, um, you know, folks either have goals or are quickly developing goals. And those goals are like really a about to um, happen. And so, you know, what does landfill free mean or what does zero waste mean for these organizations? And um, how, you know, what does kind of the future after, you know, zero waste and, and meeting these goals really look like? What does that, you know, uh, reuse and repurposing and repairing and cleaning and washing and returning? What does all that infrastructure really look like? And I think that we're, yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're laying the groundwork for all of that to happen. Um, so I think it's really exciting. And as I mentioned earlier, I do not think that that's going anywhere. Yeah, I think. It's not going anywhere. It's only going to continue to increase. Um, well, how do you see businesses and municipalities uh, approach, you know, food waste moving forward? I mean, do you, do you think there's going to be a big uh, initiative with say, you know, communities, uh, curbside, you know, organic pickup, recycling? I mean, what do you think there? Yep. So, you know, I've been seeing recently that that Boston's really, um, you know, excited about it. So, I mean, that's that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there are more and more residential organics recycling programs. I know that uh, at the U.S. Composting Council, we are about to release the uh, Target Organics um, website, which is going to be basically a roadmap for municipalities that are interested in organics recycling, specifically food waste recycling, because mm -hmm. a lot of communities have a way to deal with leaves and yard waste. 
Um, yeah. So incorporating food waste into those programs is quite a leap. Um, so it's one that, you know, municipalities, just like businesses and individuals, um, you know, are nervous about change and nervous about, you know, making those changes and, and messing up. And so um, I think that there is a lot of room there for um, municipalities to develop those programs. And I think that they are, again, more and more of them are, are taking that leap. And then I think that you see a lot of um, public-private partnerships where, uh, you know, businesses that uh, do composting for a living are right there to help those municipalities. So I think you see a lot of, um, you know, operators that are not necessarily the municipalities. They're getting someone else who has tons of experience and, and know how to come in and run those facilities or build those facilities. And so um, I think that that's part of the way that we get there um, as far as meeting that infrastructure need, because again, the more and more cities that are able to uh, deal with their biosolids and their food waste and their yard waste and their wood waste, you know, especially when it's natural disasters, um, you know, ice storms or hurricanes, and all of a sudden they've got literally millions of tons of debris. Um, you know, they, there's uh, a big need, you know, as more of those types of events happen um, for those cities to be ready and, and have the infrastructure to be able to handle those types of events. I think that's kind of one of those components of a city who has the interest of being more green, right? Being a green city, right? They're doing a good job of recycling things, but that's the one area that they still haven't been able to tackle yet. They still need to kind of overcome, right? They still need to kind of address the, the how do we process those things if we don't have the infrastructure. And uh, no, that that's a really good point there. I think that you just brought up. I'm glad to see that the recycler compost uh, councils helping cities do that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that recycling also, um, you know, took a big hit with the, the green fence um, and green sword, you know, programs yeah. that, that really stopped uh, importation of recyclable materials into China. And so I think that that is a similar story of municipalities that were used to doing things one way. And, um, you know, I think that to your point, they all have, you know, solid waste management plans or goals or want to um, be as good as possible. But, um, you know, when when the economics fell out of the uh, recyclable market, um, you know, there was lots of talk about uh, recycling is dead and recycling is broken. And that's really not the case. It's really just a, a matter of our own infrastructure being able to handle our own recyclables. Um, and that shift is happening and those markets are coming back. And so I think that um, it's kind of a double whammy that, you know, more organics recycling, more uh, kind of traditional recycling infrastructure in the U.S. are going to really help um, cities and businesses uh, meet their meet their diversion goals and their carbon avoidance goals as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Well, you know, I, I think as the infrastructure catches up, uh, which I think is going to start the, I mean, there's a big push now. I mean, a lot of States are like California is mandated, you know, organic recycling in a lot of, I mean, the infrastructure is actually not there yet, but not they've mandated close. it. And so, so, you know, there's a lot of activity going on over there. I know uh, for a fact that, you know, a lot of companies are working to really quickly to, you know, help build that, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, we're going to, we're going to see that uh, infrastructure improve over time and people are going to get more creative. There is going to be a financial uh, impact, uh, but there's going to be financial successes too, right? I mean, there's there's going to be companies that you know come in and fill in this void that are yes. going to be successful that oh, that yeah. can you know you know essentially make money on this commodity, but also provide a service that is necessary and needed to complete the the whole cycle here, the whole circular cycle of this process, and to get the biggest value out of the food waste. So, I'm really excited to see what happens in the future. Uh, you know, Ryan, hey, you know, you, you've done a really great job, to, you know, describing a lot of the challenges of, of food waste and, and the challenges that we face and the, and the work that you're doing at Rubicon. You know, I think you guys are doing a great job. Uh, lots of great uh, things happening there. And, and, and the work you're doing is, is just fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing with us and the listeners about that. You got any last little parting shots you'd like to leave us uh, before we go? 
Um, well, thank you so much for having me, Sean. Uh, really uh, enjoy your podcast and um, really honored to, to be here today. Um, and I think that, you know, for the listeners that um, are interested in this kind of thing, um, you know, tell a friend, be that champion, um, start that composting pile, start that garden, right. um, you know, support those businesses that are moving in that direction because, um, you know, those those votes with our dollars really matter and those actions um, really speak way louder than than words because um you know if, again if folks can see that hey it's not that big of a deal to um you know grow a little bit of my own produce and be that much more self-sufficient or um handle you know my own organics um on on my own or you know it's it's one of those things that um we can really make a difference in our life every day and so many problems seem so huge that this is one that we can really make an impact with our own two hands. So uh, it's accessible. And I think, again, um, you know, getting involved with those community gardens and urban farming organizations and, um, you know, farmers markets and really making that connection between, uh, you know, the food that we buy and the, the waste that we produce and that virtuous cycle of making sure that, um, you know, it, it winds up going back uh, into the soil. I think that that's really, really powerful and um, is is really exciting. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of it. So um, it's yeah. it's going to be fun to see. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Well, Ryan, thanks for coming on. We'll look forward to getting this out uh, in, the, in the next week and appreciate your time today. And I'll make sure we put a link to your contact information on our website. Okay. Thank you so much, Sean. I want to thank our guest Ryan Cooper for coming onto the show today. If you want to learn more about circular economy, organic recycling, and what Rubicon has to offer, check out their website at www.rubicon.com. We'll also put a link to Ryan's contact information on my website. To listen to future environmental transformation podcasts, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast networks, or from my website at www.seankgrady.com. And you can follow me on Instagram or the Environmental Transformation Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. We would love to hear feedback from the ET Nation, so please feel free to leave a review on my website or leave a review on the Apple Podcast platform. So for now, thanks for listening. And until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today. Mm-hmm.